Well, Father, you've heard us this morning singing praise and giving thanks to you for all that you are and for all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the gracious and wonderful gift of salvation that we have in you and for the sealing of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that sealing that is there until the day of our redemption. We want to worship you. We want to give praise and honor and glory to you. For you are God, and there is no other. You are the God of not only our lives, but the God who has redeemed us and made us his own. So as your children, we come in Jesus' name and ask that you would speak to us through these living words, words of life that you have given to us. We, we pray that you would uh, open up our hearts and our minds to, to feed, to feed on your words of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the best ways to renew your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is by being a person of prayer. Such renewal of faith comes when we, by a matter, if you will, of routine, humbly begin to commit everything that we do in this life to God. In all situations of life, God calls us and tells us that we need Him. And therefore, we need to commit our lives and the situations of life to Him each day. Beloved, we need to be a people who are talking to God. We need to be a people who are praying regularly to God. And in these verses here in James chapter 5, verses 13 and following, the dominant theme that you see in these verses is that we need to pray. Ian Bounds in his book, The Necessity of Prayer, says this, when faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. In that same book, Ian Bounds says, it is prayer that projects faith on God and God on the world. And he reminds us in this same book, only God can move mountains. But faith and prayer moves God. And as we're dealing with these life situations that Christians were facing then, and we in like manner are facing today, 
we need to realize the power of being able to pray to the living God and to receive from Him that which can come from no place else. That's why James says here in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. You see, James is presenting situations that we all face as believers. And he's telling us how we're to respond by faith. A believer's suffering is, was not unusual back then, and it is not unusual today. What are they supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when we are faced with suffering? We're to pray. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, that we're supposed to pray at all times. The word there for suffering means to go through hardship or to, misfor- uh, to face misfortune or, or maybe it's dealing with trouble or personal affliction. It can be in a, for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that becomes very clear in this passage is that when suffering is coming into our lives, the first thing and the foremost thing that we need to do is to be praying to God. You'll remember back about the example that was presented to us last week in verse 10 of the same chapter. He said to us, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed that endured. But you can be sure that those prophets, as well as Job, were talking to God regularly, seeking Him, so that when we are faced with suffering affliction, whether it be coming to us internally, maybe because of some bad attitudes that have arisen in our lives, like I had one yesterday. Do you ever have them? Bad attitudes? I see that hand. Yes. The thing that we need to do is we don't need to um, just... um, how should I say, withdrawal and, 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 or ignore it, what we need to do is pray and to confess it. We have a tendency, beloved, to be a people who complain. Much like the complainers there in Numbers, right? Chapter 21. What did they talk about the wonderful manna that God had provided for them? Read it. They did not like what God had provided for them. They thought it was lousy. They wanted more. There's no water, there's no food, and we got to put up with this stuff. You see, that's where this suffering can come to us very personally and internally through bad 
attitudes, vile attitudes. But it also comes externally, if you will, by ill treatment that we receive because of our faith in God. It can come through the form of persecution, even imprisonment, just as it happened to the Apostle Paul and Silas as they were proclaiming the gospel in Acts chapter 16. But you'll notice that while they're in the deepest part of the inner prison, what are they doing? They're praying and they're praising God. But James also points out that that's not the only way that we live as believers in this world. He says to those that are cheerful, in contrast, when there are special times in our lives of great joy because of living with the Lord and the blessings that come from God, what should we be doing? Well, what we were doing together just a few minutes ago, singing praise to God, right? It's important for us to realize that there are things that God is bringing into our lives, those blessings that sometimes we even take for granted that um, we need to be a people who are thankful and grateful and giving praise and honor to God. In, actual, in essence, even the praising is a form of praying because we are coming into God's presence with those songs of praise. I'll give you an incident that happened to me this week. I shared it with my Sunday school class this morning as we were going through John, Gospel John. Um, this week, I actually had time to go fishing. Normally when I go fishing, I just feed the, sh uh, the fish. But this was not the kind of fishing that I was doing. I had the, the privilege of going out with a team of people on Tuesday night, and we went fishing for men with the gospel. And you know what happened? You may be surprised at this, but actually... The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And there was a 14-year-old boy that we got to share the gospel with whose name is Alex, and he came to faith in Christ on Tuesday night. That's a time of rejoicing, isn't it? That's a time to be in giving thanks to God because you know that is the work of God. Well, Paul tells us very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, that whether we're praying or, or actually singing praises in the church, we need to do it with all of our minds and hearts and spirits to God. We need to be committed to coming into God's presence and not coming half-heartedly.
Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So, what James is getting at here, whether we are in adversity or in prosperity in this sense, believers are called to pray. To pray for God's aid and direction. But to also pray in praise. Singing praises of acclaim to the Lord whom we serve. Well, he goes on here in verses 14 and 15, and he says, is anyone among you sick? And he gives this instruction. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. You see, James is telling us as believers that indeed we can come to God through those men that God has raised up as elders in the church and pray over a sick person within our fellowship, anointing them with oil and asking God to heal them. We've done that numerous times here. We did one just recently, a couple weeks ago. It's important that we take God at His Word. That when we're sick, it's more than just a physical ailment. There is the whole body involved. It includes their minds, their souls, their spirits. And indeed, we can call for the elders of the church to come and anoint us and to pray over us, asking for God's gracious and loving care that he would heal them. And if there are sins, whether they're connected with the illness or just that the person is confessing their sins, they can be forgiven by God. We have many, many examples throughout the Old Testament and even into the New of prophets, of priests, and of kings receiving healing from the Lord. Yet, it is important for us to realize that we are coming in the name of the supreme prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us, grace, and God can work and bring supernatural power to bear to heal someone who is ill. He gave his, Jesus gave his own apostles the ability, the power by his spirit to cast out demons, to anoint people, and to heal them in the New Testament. And it is also observable, as we look at the passages that deal with spiritual gifts, that the Holy Spirit 
in distributing those spiritual gifts also gives the gift of healing to Christ's church as it is faithfully administered through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. However, one of the things that I want us to draw our attention to in in regard to these passages here is that um, we need to ask, well, really several questions. First, is James referring to physical sickness alone? Well, the word there in the Greek seems to indicate that he's talking about bodily ailments caused by disease or injury. Um, It's brought on some sort of physical weakness or disability. And indeed, we need to remember that the New Testament passage reveals that there is always a spiritual connection of soul and body when it comes to illness as well as when God brings healing to that person. Remember the incident when Jesus was, uh, was well, actually brought to him, there was a paralytic, and he was brought to him. And what was Jesus' first words to this paralytic? It wasn't be healed. It was your sins are forgiven you. And of course, the people around him mocked him, and said, uh, who's this guy who can forgive sins? He says, in order that you might know that I have the power to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, stand up and walk. Take up your pallet and walk. Second question I wanted to raise with you this morning is this. Who is to call the elders to pray for the sick? That's right, the person who is sick. You see, it needs to be a demonstration of their own faith in this process. God calls you that if you're sick and you want the elders of the church to come and pray over you and anoint you with the oil and in the name of the Lord, you need to come and ask the elders to pray for you. It's the believer that has the illness who is the call for the elders of the church. And it is important that indeed, though olive oil had a medicinal value back then in the first century for being applied to injuries and things of that nature, here it is a... It's not so much focus on the medicinal aspect of this oil, although it could be. The focus is on the spiritual work that God is doing by those in faith who are praying to heal that person. Third question, well, we'll, we have to move on. Third question is this. What is emphasized in the elders' actions when they pray? James stresses that the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. The emphasis, then, is on the faith that is being exercised in obedience to what God has commanded in His Word, a prayer of faith to God. It's not on the oil itself. 
If a sick person is restored and cured by those elders who anoint and pray over them in the name of the Lord, it is the Lord who saves. It is the Lord who heals them from their sickness and grants them forgiveness of sins. And therefore, even as we look to the Lord in this opportunity of the elders coming and anointing a person who is sick with oil in the name of the Lord and praying over them for God's healing, we need to always remember it's only the Lord that can heal the body and the soul of a man. Fourth point. Does James teach that all sickness is caused by sin? No. He adds here that if the person has sinned, it will be, and they confess it, it will be forgiven them. Job is a good Old Testament example. He was afflicted with illness, and it had nothing to do with him as being a sinner. Job maintains his innocency as well as his integrity in Job chapter 6, verses 28 through 30. In fact, James, what he's getting at here in this last phrase about sins being committed, infers that the ill person humbly confesses his sins to the Lord at that time. And as sins are confessed, forgiveness is granted by the Lord. Finally, do the prayers of elders for the sick at all times result in God's healing? <laughs> well, you need to remember that Paul was given the gift of healing. And yet there are situations in the Scripture and during his ministries that did not bring about healing. Think about Epaphroditus there in Philippians 2, verses 25 through 27, or Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4.20. Even Paul's personal affliction, when he prayed for God to heal him three times, he was not healed. The Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul's telling us there that even through his weaknesses, he experienced the grace and power of Christ to meet those needs. One author of a commentary wrote on this anointing with oil that we need to keep in mind that it did have a medicinal value as well as a sacramental value, and that indeed we should blend both medicine and prayer to care for our sick. Because indeed, God is ultimately the source of the healing. <clears throat> Verse 16. We need to move on here. Um, he says there in verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You see, 
one of the things I think is lost in our culture today is this aspect of one anotherness as the community of faith. I'm of German descent. And one of the phrases I heard over and over again in my family was this. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. In the community of faith, though, that sort of attitude short circuits what God wants to see in the body of Christ. We are each other's keeper, beloved. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God that should be doing things in the context of one another. Even confessing our sins to one another. Even as we're confessing those sins, lifting them up to God in prayer for one another so that healing may come. The effective prayer of a righteous person does avail much. It does accomplish much. And seeking forgiveness from God may require us to go to the offended party and seek forgiveness from them also. It's not enough to just come to the place where we humble ourselves before the Lord and say, I'm sorry. Just like I had to last night go before my wife and tell her, I am sorry for my rotten attitude. And she said to me, well, how many times do I have to forgive you? Of the same thing. I wouldn't point that out to her. It was not the time. But she was getting to a point, wasn't she? We need to be a people that can show our warts, that can tell each other where we have fallen and failed. Not for judgment, nor for gossip, nor for uh, personal gain, but for the love of God and harmony and peace as the family of God through the forgiveness of sins. We say the Lord's Prayer often. That's why I read it there in Matthew. And you go to verses 12 through 15. The center of that is, Lord, forgive me my debt as I forgive the debts of others. 
Yes, there are times when the confession of our sins needs to be private or one-on-one. But there are also sins that we commit that are public in nature and require public mutual confession. Liken it this way. The confession of our sins is the way in which God has provided us the way that we can have a deep cleansing of our souls so that we can right the wrongs, so that we can restore relationships, so that we can be in harmony and at peace with one another and with God. It rebuilds the pathway to further prayer. And it it is a process that leads to deep and abiding healing in our lives. James gives us an example here in verses 17 and 18. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And the point is is that Elijah was not always at the top of his game. Look how he reacts there in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 9, when he finds out that Jezebel's after him. He gets scared, he's afraid, and he runs. And yet, when that relationship with him and the Lord is there where it's supposed to be, he's able to pray in faith, and God's answering his prayer, and for three and a half years, there's no rain that falls on the soil. And he prays again, And it pours, God allows the rains to pour and replenish the ground. It's important for us to realize how important prayer is, number one, but how important it is to recognize that each one of us have the privilege of coming before the Lord even when our lives are stained with sin and come before that throne of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness and to be restored. One other point I want to make here and then we're going to have to close. Verses 19 and 20, he says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Beloved, as I said earlier, we are our brother's keeper. Make no mistake. If somebody is drifting away or sliding away from the faith and you know about it, you have a responsibility to that brother or that sister to go to them. Not the pastor. Not one of the, necessarily one of the elders of the church. You have the responsibility. 
as one brother or sister to another brother and sister in Christ to get that right. Think about the implications that he says here. To wander away from the truth of God is to put your soul and your life in spiritual jeopardy. He says here very clearly, it will save his soul from what? From death. We have to love each other enough in Christ to be willing to get down and dirty, to roll up our sleeves, to deal with the hard things, to be willing to love one another with all of our warts and all of our problems, and to be able to mutually come together and to be people who pray and confess to one another and seek forgiveness from God and to be restored. Wouldn't that be wonderful? A couple things I want to leave with you. Whether in adversity or in prosperity, believers are always called to pray and to give praise to God. Secondly, as I indicated earlier, even though we come for prayer, even though we obediently follow this command of coming as a sick person before the elders of the church and be anointed in the name of the Lord and pray over them, we need to know that we are coming to the Lord who is the only one that can heal the body and the soul of any man. Third, real faith in God will cause us to care enough for a brother or sister who is straying away from the faith. Care enough to seek that they be restored. What James is emphasizing here is the body life, the body life of the church that you cannot find out there, but you should be able to find it here. Praying, caring, supporting one another in Christian love, James is ending this letter with this idea, this ultimate vision for God's people to put into practice. May we not lose sight of that vision, nor ignore its crucial value to the health of Christ's church. You may be here today or listening 
and you have never experienced that type of praying and communion that James is talking about here because you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. In John chapter 3, John actually points to that incident that we read about in Numbers 21 and applies it to the Lord Jesus when he says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent to the, in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, I ask you to do so today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen.